0: Hello and welcome to another episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series.
1: My name is Dan and I'm your
0: host. And
1: my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. We hope you enjoy listening. Okay, well, Sandra, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really delighted to have you on as a guest. Um, Just to kick things off, it would be fantastic if you could give Um, us and the listeners a really quick introduction to yourself and just explain a bit about your background.
2: Sure, that would be great. Thank you so much, Dan and Alex, for having me here today. I'm very excited to, to be here and to talk with you. It's a really exciting topic to me. It's been my passion for a number of years, but I've been in the business probably a little over 20 some odd years in the customer success world. Coming from, you know, coming from the software business all the way through to training to having an unbelievable desire to doing right by the customer. So my roles have been all within that type, of, that type of realm, and it's just given me such great comfort and understanding to know that I'm able to help our customers. I'm able to help companies that have this function in place that they can thrive and their customers can thrive working with them.
1: Perfect. And, um, so over the years of your experience working in, um, this sort of sector, so I know looking at your background, it's not, um, you know, solely focused on customer success and you've had a wider sort of remit involving, um, customer experience. Uh, so it'd be good to get your opinions and, and your definition really of to you, what is customer success and where does it fit within that wider, um, customer experience sort of department or, um, or sector. No, that
2: I appreciate that. No, absolutely. I think, You know, it's been really interesting because customer success has been around for a long time, but it actually hasn't been recognized the way it has been in the past couple of years. It was kind of always considered second in the sense of being one of the most important things a a company looks at as part of their strategy. And then in the past, I would say, 10 years, I've seen this shift happen to be more focused around the importance of the customer. being an advocate for the customer, doing right by the customer, having the customer be part of the strategy of the company because that's the reason why you're there. That's the reason why you're making money. That's the reason why you're succeeding is because of the customer. Customer is so important to the brand, the reputation of the company that it becomes the single most piece that's really part of the overall structure of what you're trying to achieve within the company from renewals, from marketing, from product development, all of those components are part of what that customer is and what that company represents. So when you think about customer success, you think about what does that mean for that particular company? What is the focus for that company? But overall, it really does mean that you are doing everything you can, that that customer is successful within the organization. They're utilizing whatever product or program or solution that they have partnered with you with you on and they are flourishing with it. They're getting value from it. They're showcasing it. They're seeing, they're constantly seeing what else they can do with it. So you're part of that, that team. So what I always tell my teams, what I always tell my customers is that we're only successful if you are. So it behooves us to do the right thing by you. And that's really what the key element around customer success is, is really understanding the customer, what the needs are, what they're looking to do, what they want to get out of it, and what your product, solution, program, whatever it is, will do for them. And all of the other components are surrounding that.
0: That's really great. And um, I guess it, so, so it probably sounds like... When you're, when you're setting up customer success teams, the, the kind of key focus, as, as you mentioned there, is to ensure that your clients or users are adopting the products and, and they're as, sex, as successful as possible. So something that, that we've obviously been speaking about on these podcasts is around like the, how you would go about structuring a customer success team. So do you structure for growth with regards to the CSMs having a quota and having targets to to kind of grow the accounts or do you prefer to structure CS teams in a way that is purely about adoption and, and kind of showcasing value and not necessarily around like growing the um, overall book of business? Do you, yeah, it'd be interesting to just hear your thoughts on that.
2: Absolutely. And the interesting thing is I've been in organizations where both types of setups have been in place. One where it's around adoption, and the other one is really around, you know, being part of the, the financial portion of it. So having targets, having a, a, some sort of compensation surrounding that, having a, a piece of the pie, so to speak, right? But, and both were successful because of the way the program was implemented. And the thing that I found is that when you have that invested interest in that customer. So when you have a target, so when you are part of the overall process, so if you're in charge of renewals, if renewal, and if you're in charge of cross sales, and if you're in charge of upsells, or if you're part of that piece, it makes it a difference to get something from it because you're working every day with that customer. You're working with them to be to see the value of it, to utilize the product, to expand on it, to do more with it. And if you have a piece of that, it only helps you to really drive that forward. Now, it's a motivational piece, of course. From an adoption standpoint, you would, you're the type of individual that would get that satisfaction in seeing that that customer is using the product properly, expanding that product, seeing that that product has, provi- has followed through on the success metrics that were originally defined initially. So there is two types of ways you can set it up. I've seen like I said before, I've seen both be very successful. I do tend to say that if you have you probably would get more out of the program if you do have them invested in the piece around the financial aspect. Uh, but in that case, you can you can organize your CS function around that. But the thing that you have to remember is what is that customer? Going to get from the company so what does that journey look like what elements do they touch are they going to be part of the product development that you're doing are they going to be part of the marketing component are they going to be part of obviously they will be part of the financial and revenue component but all of those pieces are really important because you've got a support piece or how you're going to support them going forward that's that's your your uh, client service component. But then you've also got the, the, the piece around the overall journey. So what are the key elements? What are the touch points? So when you're structuring your organization, that's what you need to understand. So what type of team you're putting into place depends upon what that customer is going to do with you. If that customer is going to touch all of those pieces, and in reality they should, then your organization will be built around that and your journey starts there from your pre-sales all the way through to your renewal if there's if there's a renewal involved. So all of those components are part of what you would be doing within your organization. So that means that the individuals that you bring on board need to have that skill set that that address all of those different touch points and elements within the journey. So that so when you think about how you're going to do your organizational component, you if you're going to have the the customer success team have you know a part of the compensation, you will be working very closely with sales. Now you're always going to work closely with sales no matter what, because they're a key element to partnering with the customer because sales is always going to be there. The way we look at it is that the way I look at it is that sales owns the overall relationship of the customer because they brought that customer in. You, this this customer success piece owns the element around the the actual implementation, the accountability around that, but there's a partnering piece with sales, so they're a very key element to the success of the customer success organization. But if you're going to talk about, you know, having a some sort of compensation factor, in, that's partnering with your sales team to talk about how that works with them and what you would achieve from that, because if you if you look at cross sales and upsells, you would look at if you're, you're the most, as a customer success manager or a customer success professional or a leader, you would be looking at what it is that they're bringing. They're the best person that knows what's happening within that particular customer if they're doing things correctly, right? They know everything about that customer. They know where to go from there. If they're, if they're talking to a customer and they see a potential lead, they would be bringing that back to the sales team and then you talk about what they would get by sharing that lead with them. And then of course, sharing that with marketing. So when you think about an organization, that's, that's the piece that you have to say, how are we going to structure that organization? Do are they part of the revenue or are they looking more around adoption?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, um, as a sort of debate in terms of, like you say, the best way of structuring that. And, um, Just listening to you sort of talk around the topic, there, it's very similar to some of the trends that we're seeing. Um, People speak about um, relating to uh, sort of building and structuring teams, and I guess uh, kind of like what you were saying there. Really, it doesn't necessarily have to be the focus is just on growth, or the focus is just on adoption. And you know, as you said, both of those elements are successful. So why not try and implement a blend of both of those? And um, you know, we've had a few uh, guests recently talking around like specialization of CSM roles and you know to your point. Um, ultimately, it depends on the type of customer that you're working with. So, um, you know, it, for their implementation, is it likely to be a very simple thing? Um, but there's room for lots of growth. If so, maybe you have someone that's very commercially minded as a CSM on that account, versus uh, someone, uh, sorry, some customers that are um, really complex in their implementation, so they're likely to need um, support from really product focused or technically minded um, CSM. So. I guess that's the key thing really, isn't it? Taking it back to exactly what you said at the start it's based on the success criteria and the type of customer that you're working with. And that should be the thing that leads the segmentation or the structure um, of your CSM team.
2: It it definitely is. And a lot of it is around, you know, when you're talking with, uh, with your leadership team and you're talking across the different groups of how that, that, that division is going to work with them. That's the part that, where you see, I mean, growth is always going to happen. You're always, if your CS, if your CS team is set up properly and there's, there's integration into all the other teams, then you're going to see growth explode. It's going to happen because that, that CS team is just has the eye and the ear of that customer. And you know, you're, you're going to expand. It's the piece around how do you How do you support and recognize that CS team for all the hard work that they're doing? You know, it's building a relationship takes time and it takes nurturing and it takes an understanding of the customer that goes beyond just saying, here's, you know, here's the value you're getting for the product. It's actually building that piece, understanding when to reach out, when not to reach out under, especially, you know, what we're facing today, having that, empathetic ear having reaching out and a lot of customers today are saying they don't want to talk to us but they do want to talk in general terms you know about what's happening what's going on so keeping that relationship going makes a difference so when you're thinking about your organization that's the piece that really plays how is that customer success team going to interact within that organization they have to be a prominent feature if things will be successful
1: yeah absolutely and i think um yeah, you know, on, on that subject around relationships taking a long time to build and really, um, you know, it takes a lot of time to invest in that relationship and truly understand your customer. I think one of the challenges that we often see um, CSMs mention, is being quite time poor because they're usually, uh, they're being pulled into a lot of different conversations with a lot of different teams and different touch, uh, touch points. So um, how have you in the past and how do you usually recommend that uh, someone who is a CS leader should segment their customer base across their, their different CSMs. Um, you know, you mentioned there it's not just the value that should ultimately decide on that. What, what other factors do you typically tend to include when you're, um, you know, segmenting and looking at which customers to invest uh, the most time and commitment to
2: that's, you know, that's an interesting question. Uh, That's a really good question. I mean, the, the, segmentation piece, the tiering piece, however you want to call it is, uh, is something that's always a challenge because, when you look at your CSM, and depending upon how many customers you have, they're going to have a portfolio of them, and you don't want to inundate them with too many. You want to say you know, that, that roughly what I've seen works really best is somewhere between 15 to 20, with leaving around an, another five as additional new logos that they would be accumulating throughout the year, right? So they would ultimately end up at 25. But that 25 can't always be what we call tier ones because you will completely burn that particular person out because tier ones are typically your very large, very important, you know, well, important is one word, but I would say very intricate type customer that you would have to spend a lot of time with. So you'd have to intermix with all different types of tiers so that there's a little bit of balance and there's some relief because every, every day you'd be looking at you know, a calendar full of meetings and not being able to actually do the work that needs to get done. So when you think about segmentation, you wanna think about you know, a couple of things. Value is very important. So what did they, what was the ACV? What was, you know, what is their potential? How many years did they sign on with you if you're in a subscription basis?
1: How many, you know,
2: how many products did they buy? How many users did they buy? Did they they bring on? You know, what's the potential for growth within that customer? So they may have just bought a small piece, but they're a very large customer. So there's a potential. So you want to nurture that relationship. So you can think about segmentation that way so that you are focusing, you are giving your customers that have a high value, that have a that has spent a lot of money with you that have invested with you to see this forward as a, you know, your top tier, but you should probably have somewhere between one and three tiers. So anything more than that just gets a little too cumbersome. It's difficult to, to provide the right level of service to those different tiers. So you want to think between one and three so that you have the ability to say, our tier one customers get this type of service our tier two gets this and our tier three gets this and this is what it looks like because what will happen is if you if you have more than that everybody gets the same service and then nobody is no you're actually not going to be successful because you're just constantly doing the same the same type you're always doing your best with everybody which you should but what happens is is that your best means if somebody has spent a lot of money with you and have, and they've purchased a lot of products and they Provided you know they've they've done that investment with you, you want to be able to say okay, they will be getting, you know, what do you want to call it, gold, platinum, whatever type of service you want to call it, but they would be getting, you know, um, you know, an on-site meeting every week, you know, or whatever, you know, whatever is the best determination. But as guidelines, they would be getting the full customer journey, right? They would be getting, you know, part of the customer advisory board. They so those are the the, the the incentives and the discussion around how you would be allocating what type of service you get to each one. And then you would have the other tiers that you would define based off of that. And you would provide alignment with your CSM across that. Now, uh, not every CSM can support a tier one customer. They would be have to have a growth plan to get to that. But you want to give that ability that they have that. So when you think about segmentation, you want to look at it that way. You want to make sure that they're going to be, who are the customers that are going to provide references for you that will be looking at, you know, more than one product. They will be loyal to you. They will be providing you with customer stories. They would be case studies. And that's just from the branding perspective. So they would be doing things along those lines. And that's what that's what you wanna think about from a segmentation perspective. I've done one to three, I've done one and two, You know, tier, that type of tiering around that. And both have worked, at, but you have to be very good at making sure that your CS team does provide the defined level of service for each one, or else again, you're just gonna get this, everybody gets the same thing and then there's no distinction.
1: Mm-hmm. And would you also say, one of the other, I guess, more important uh, things to consider with you know whichever form of segmentation or tiering that you go with, it's the remembering that it's a, a constant evolution. And as you grow with your clients and you become more embedded and you know build to that sort of partnership status, you need to constantly review. Um, as you bring on board new clients, as you're growing existing clients, you need to review uh, based on current segmentation and where, yeah, you, as you said, where you're forecasting them to go and Yeah, constantly reevaluating that and making sure that the right level of service is being applied to the right segment at the right moment.
2: That's absolutely true. That is extremely important. That's one of the reasons why you leave sort of that five extra, you know, new logos or uh, you know, logos that were transferred from another CS, another CS person into your portfolio. That's something that you're constantly looking at. You as a leader would have to make sure that everybody is doing the right level of service across the board and they're following they're following through on the customer journey touch points that so that you're able to see that when you think about that you're, that leads into measurement and I know we'll talk about that in a minute but when you're looking at that you want to make sure that there is that that level of scrutiny as well there's room to grow you know allocation of customers as well can be looked at when you're thinking about who gets the which customer. From a geographic standpoint. So if you think about tier one tier one customers and part of your plan or your service for that, those customers is you have on-site visits, you have you know weekly, you know, touch points, weekly cadence calls, whatever, whatever you want to call it, you want to be able to, you know, from a cost perspective, keep you know, the traveling down. I know it's a little bit different in our new world, but in the past, so geographically you'd want to think about who gets what. That's not always the case. I think for the most part, you like to try to do that. I wouldn't make that your number one because you may not have a CS person strong enough to be able to support that customer, that that tier one customer that's in that area, but that's part of it. You want to think about, you know, vertical, you know, who has specialties in these type of vertical and industries because you, as part of your CS training and as part of, when you're bringing on the CS team within your organization, one of the things you have to make sure that your CS team does is they know their customers inside and out. So does that mean that they know the industry and the vertical? Probably if they're going to have a group of financial customers or a group of manufacturing customers, but really understanding that customer what is what makes it important. So knowing what events, what's been happening in the news for them, knowing their their products inside and out so that you can have those type of conversations with them with regards to your solutions to how it would support and make things better for them. And then, of course, size is important. Like I said before, you could have a very large customer buy a very small piece of your solution, but there's potential for growth. So that could be considered tier one customer, though the value may be smaller
1: yeah absolutely and then just on the the topic around um so you mentioned there potentially seeing if you have any um like vertical or industry specialists in the team um so just on that topic based on you know teams that you've been a part of maybe people you've hired or csms that you have worked with um what do you think makes the best csm what are the typical skills and qualities personality traits that make a really successful um csm
2: so when you think about the people that you bring on board the the cs the cs role is interesting because it's, it, it, there's no there's no product specificity around it so you don't have to know how to do you know how to, how to write in a particular code you don't know how to you know when you think about advertising how to market a certain way the cs team needs to have a couple of a couple of skill sets that right off the bat when you're bringing them on board one is the ability to problem solve and understanding what that resolution looks like. So problem solving and resolution is one of the key elements because they're going to be the team that, way after they call the help desk or they'll, they'll or they'll call you directly, you're going to be reacting to what that customer is saying, whether it's an issue, whether it's a concern, or whether it's just something that they want to say the product's doing great. We love those calls. But they have to have the ability to understand what the problem is exactly. Because typically, if you think about it, a customer's calling and they're in a very agitated state. So they're going to not give you all the right information. And as, and as CS person, you have to have the ability to be empathetic, the ability to listen to what they're saying and know exactly what they want to, what they're trying to pull out from you or be able to extract it for them. If you don't have that, ability to extract what the issue is, then then you're constantly calling them back to say, oh, what about this? Oh, what about this? And that leads to a lot of frustration. So when that's happening, you need to have those skill sets in place. You have to be really good at organizations, organizational, you know, set up, you need to, because you'll be working with a lot of customers, so you have to be very good at multitasking, but not multitasking to the point where you're talking to a customer and doing something else for another customer, because then you lose focus. I know we have a tendency to do that, especially now in the world that we live in, but that customer requires your full attention. So project management skills are good because you're able to, from an organizational standpoint, work and understand from an in the implementation process, the customer journey. Uh, expectation setting, a lot of it is really around having the, uh, once the problem comes into place, so you can provide them with a level of expectation not to say to them, I'm going to fix it for you right away, I'm gonna get back to you, and understand it. Communication, fluid, fluid, fluid communication. That is so important in this role. The ability to be able to talk to all the levels within the organization and understand what it is that you're saying at those levels and the importance of the information that you deliver to them at the different levels. Open, honest communication to them, always being in touch to the point of, you know, if you say you're going to do something, you do it. So you have to become that trusted person for them so that you're constantly providing that feedback to them confidence you know they're calling you because either there's a problem or that you're in a meeting or you're having a discussion and you have to be confident in what your problem your solution your product is doing and what it can do the capabilities what it may not be able to do and how you can work around that how you can have it marry with other types of of pieces within that organization so you need to be able to have those skill sets relationship building is a good one as well because you will be as i said before building that relationship throughout the time that you're working with them and it's that's not an easy thing to do it's not you know instantly hi my name is sandra and we have a great relationship right you need to be able to do to nurture that customer and the these skill sets are really you know things that you can learn and acquire but they come from experience and they come from working in different types of organizations, understanding, you know, each of these are more of what we would call the soft skill type environment. You need to also have the, the, the other elements. So if you're, if you're working, walking into a, you know, some sort of technical company, you need to have the ability to understand what that technical solution is because you'll be speaking to it or even working with it. And then you know the same thing with whatever type of organization you're working into if you know The industry if you're coming from a financial background, so you have knowledge of it If you're coming from a compliance background you have knowledge of that you may not be a hundred percent Knowledgeable of all the industries and verticals, but if your customers are in there You should start to do some research and homework around that because you will be become the expert they will come to you to be the expert pretty quickly in that because they will say, how does your solution work with what's happening within the industry? This new regulation just came out or this new feature just came out. How does your product work with that? And you need to be able to think on your feet around that. So having that type of skill set becomes really, really important. And you don't always see that off the bat when you're looking at a resume because somebody can say, I'm really good at communicating. Well, how do you know? Uh, how do you really know that this person is not going to you know, start to get really flustered when the customer gets really agitated and the customer gets angry and there's a problem? They have to be the person that's calm under the storm and continue to maintain that things will move forward. And then they have to be that person that can translate what that customer is saying back internally to either... The product development team, the engineering team, the marketing team, the leadership team—especially if it's becoming, you know, a customer where you know sort of going into the red—they have to be the person that starts to, uh, you know, organize all of the people to come together to have that conversation to say, how are we going to fix this this issue with the customer? What is the communication we're going to put out? Those are the type of people you want to bring on board. So that's what you want to look for. You may not always see that on the resume so you have to start to draw it out when you're having the conversation with them you have to give them the a some sort of what always works best for me when i'm interviewing a cs a cs leader or a cs team member is giving them a scenario giving them a role play giving them a some sort of now, I won't say presentation, but some sort of problem that they have to solve in their everyday life that they're familiar with. So it's not something that, that makes them uncomfortable and you can see how they're reacting to that. And that'll give you clues to that type of individual you're bringing on board. You do want to be able to have them, you know, nurture and grow and move within the company. But it becomes important that they have their type of skill sets.
1: And do you think um, some of these skills will be even more so I like, emphasized especially given uh what's going on in the world currently with um you know the COVID 19 outbreaks you mentioned things like uh communication and relationship building and um i guess that's as i say potentially more more emphasized than ever now because it's going to become more and more difficult to effectively build relationships when a lot of this service has to be delivered um you know over the phone uh we're currently doing this over a zoom link um uh, for example, and you know things like delivering and showcasing value or conflict res- uh, resolution, things like that will become much more difficult to do when you're not able to to meet that person face to face.
2: That's a hundred percent true. It, yes, it's definitely going to become much a, a little bit more difficult. I won't say much more difficult. I think what we have to do is we have to change the way we are training our team so that they are understanding the new type of way to address situations. So when you're doing a Zoom call, when you're doing, you know, especially if you have video on and you are talking to them, it's different than when what you used to do when you just had the status calls or whatever it is that you were doing and you're not seeing them. Now everybody wants to, you know, have the video call so that there's that personal touch. But in this case, now you have to be a bit more respective of the person that you're talking to so that you could definitely work with them to build that relationship. So what does that mean? That means that you have to be a better listener. You know, while you're on these calls, while you're doing these meetings, while you're doing the strategy sessions. I mean, you may not be in a conference room anymore. You'll be on a Zoom call. How do you how do you make sure that you have eye contact with everybody in the room that you used to do that now you're doing on a Zoom call? Well, the way you would do it is you would You would have to call people out to say, you know, does this make sense? Is is this being, are you getting a reaction from them? Do you understand what we're trying to do? What are your thoughts? You know, that communication skill has to come from you because you have to make sure that everybody in that call, in that room, in that meeting is participating, is an avid listener, is understanding what it is that you're doing. And that's the, the, the flow of where the meetings will go you have to be prepared so you have to understand what it is what's the outcome of this meeting what's the outcome of the uh, this particular topic who's going to be you know the player if you have invited other people to speak understand that they're available they're ready you've done all the mechanics behind the scenes to make sure that everybody can get on everybody has a, has a their video on everybody has zoom capabilities you know those are the pieces that now have to come into play when you're putting together these meetings they seem trivial but what happens is is that if you can't get your speaker to come on for 10 minutes then you've just lost 10 minutes of your meeting because they're having technical difficulties so all of these pieces are things that you have to address ahead of time but you know your your ability to facilitate and manage that meeting becomes really important and that's where the skill set comes into place as well as when you're talking with your your teams directly. So providing feedback, providing discussions, having a, a, a an internal strategy call, all of those same elements come into play around that. And those skill sets are going to be much more important going forward because the customers are going to be used to now working in this environment. Even if offices open up, I think, you know, around the world, things are starting to open up over the next couple of months. Not everybody's going to always be in the office. And even if you are, you will be, you know, socially distant, so to speak. And, you know, what does that mean when you're in a conference call, right? Or when you're in a conference, in a meeting, you know, things are changing. If you looked at the, uh, a lot of the conferences that are happening now, they're all online and they've been quite successful. So those are the things that have to start to come out when you're working with your team to help them adjust, retraining them on how to do these type of calls.
0: Brilliant. Um, I think just probably the last question around the skills actually, and it, and it certainly came out in in what you just explained um, which which, by the way I think is great in terms of the the skills that people need both soft skills and then probably just general skills as a CSM. You mentioned about sometimes people not having the skills to go from per, perhaps maybe like a tier 3, tier 2 account to then take it on those tier 1 accounts. So for anybody that you know, wants to make that leap and develop the right skills to successfully manage Tier 1 clients, what do you think is the, the most critical thing for them to have? And perhaps to word that slightly differently, what do you typically see people lacking in terms of skill sets to move from a Tier 2 or Tier 3 to a Tier 1 client in terms of being able to manage that successfully?
2: Sure. The... I would say probably one of the major skills that they would have to have is the ability to have a conversation and the confidence to have a conversation at all different levels. So I was listening to your your podcast that you did with Peter Cohen the other day and he brought up, you know, what it is that when you're presenting at different levels what you have to think about. That's very similar to what you have to think about when you're talking to customers at these different levels because as you're dealing with a tier 1 customer you're going to have more involvement with senior leadership. Because of the size of the investment that they've they've done with your organization, those senior leaders are going to be actively involved in the the entire relationship. Maybe not every day, but they will be there when we think about the journey that we put into place at certain touch points. So grabbing their attention during those first 5, 10, 15 minutes that they're in the room becomes the key element. And knowing what to say, knowing how to say it, knowing how to address them becomes the most crucial thing that you that you do when you're thinking about more of a seniors type CSM. Those are the individuals that would take on more of the tier one customers. Having that confidence, having that ability, having that experience to work with it, not being, you know, having the ability to have somebody throw you a question from, you know, that doesn't have any relevance in within with within the confines of the meeting and addressing that, you know, that's a confidence piece that becomes really important. Those key skill sets are something that as comes from experience. Okay, you're just not going to walk in the door and say I could take a tier one customer on, even though you've done it. You, you know, in the past, you have to learn the organization. But you, those are the the skill sets that you have taken on as you've become more and more involved in working with relationships. You know, the other piece is really around, you know, negotiation. Okay, so that skill set is something that is a very difficult one. And I'm not just talking about monetary negotiation. I'm just I'm talking about in general when you have to say no to a customer, when you have to address a customer issue, negotiating and understanding and talking to them about what's happening. Becomes a key element within the relationship the way you handle it is the way the relationship grows so if you are sloppy and if you fumble and if you're not sure and if you're lacking that confidence that customer is not really going to Think that you understand what's happening not going to trust you and That's going to play into the future you have with that particular customer so having that negotiation skill becomes really key. That does play a very important role if you're on the renewal end and you're managing the renewals. Have it, understanding negotiation. I mean, in our world, it becomes especially when back in you know the March and April timeframe when it was at the high point. Customers were could not you know allocate cash to pay renewals. They needed some sort of relief. They needed to understand. They, they, they needed for the company to understand that they were in a bad situation. They were furloughing their employees, they were laying off employees, and they were in a situation where they just wanted to keep their doors open. So negotiating with them around renewals becomes a key element. And that means that you need to understand what's happening with the world. You know, that empathy factor is tremendous. I mean, it's not just knowing that Something's happening. It's knowing in your voice in your expression in your discussion with them that it's happening And you know why it's happening and you understand it and your company is behind you and saying We understand we you know, we could defer payment We could do whatever needs to get done, but having that ability to have that discussion becomes key and You know a lot of people throw that empathy word around but really understanding what that means becomes crucial because Empathy is not just being sympathetic. It's really understanding the nature of the conversation because because sometimes you know a customer will call you and they will say they'll be yelling at you, they're upset there, you know, something's going on. It may not directly be about what your product is or you know, your solution it was involved in, but it could have an element of it. And you know what? Knowing when not to say, okay, I'm going to take over, I'll fix it. Because in general, a CS person is going to want to do that. That's what makes them a good CS person, right? They always want to fix a problem. They always want to help a customer. They always want to make sure that customer has sees the light at the end of the tunnel. But from an, but, but in, in certain situations, you may not need to do that. And that's because you understand that the customer just wants to talk. And even though they're yelling, they, they know that it's not directly at you. They just want you to listen. They just want you to understand that they're going through something in a really bad way. Maybe their job is affected. Maybe their, their division is affected. You don't know. You, they just want you to listen. So that's where it becomes that experience factor comes into play knowing when to have those conversations those are key elements of what i would consider you know someone who could handle a tier one customer obviously you you know you if it's a multi-million dollar type deal if it's a you know multi a, a million dollar million type user you know, contract that you're working with you need to have that skill set to, to manage that because there's a lot of moving parts in that in in that relationship you would be like i said before you'd be working with different different levels within the organization but you'll also be working with different groups and knowing what each of those groups play within each other so that goes back to the project management that goes back to the relationship building that goes back to the you know the conflict resolution component and having those skill sets in place those are the major factors i would see that working with a tier 1 company is a tier 1 organization that you have it within your company is really key and as a leader, you should be nurturing your team to make sure that they can build those skills. They can understand why it's important to have that level of of knowledge about the customer, about why that customer is calling, about what that customer is about. You know, the, where it's coming from, what's happening in their world, in their industry. Did they just, you know, get acquired, or did they acquire another company? That's where all of those pieces come into play.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, firstly, obviously, experience is going to be the the key way that you develop those skills, but then also just making sure that you're investing in yourself around each of those areas. So, for example, I'm just always looking for opportunities. Like, how can I be better at communicating? How can I develop my skills with regards to, like, emotional intelligence or or empathy? Um, So, yeah, yeah, 100%. um, That's great. Now, something... You obviously mentioned earlier that that we are going to be talking around is the application and measurement of customer success teams. So, I guess from your experience um, for, from CS teams that you've managed in the past, what do you usually implement when looking to to kind of measure a customer success team?
2: So. There's a tremendous debate around this, as you, as I'm sure you know, uh, about what the measurement looks like. It a lot of it does go back to what I said earlier: is how is does CS play within the organization? So, working with those teams that we mentioned earlier, working with sales, working with marketing, working with uh, product engineering, working with uh, support. All of those pieces are part of what a CS team does, because the CS team is managing that journey of that customer from beginning to end, and you will be touching all those elements. When you think about measurement, you're thinking about what effect that individual had within the organization, as well as with the customer. So there's two types of metrics you're looking at. You're looking at the metrics of measuring a CSM, which would be designated as the KPI, and then you're looking at metrics of the customer within the company. So let's start with the customer. So of course this customer satisfaction so and, and that is very subjective. So there's elements of that where it does come from the CSM to make a judgment call. But you can't just have that be the only thing that measures into a CSAT measurement, right? You need to be able to have other factors that are more tangible, more data related. So a CSAT score should compromise, you know, what that CSM, you know, whether they're red, yellow, and green, right? Or red, amber, and green, however you want to call them. So you would be able to say what what constitutes red, what constitutes amber, what constitutes green. You have those components in the back end. But then there's other pieces that are there. So what does the customer health look like? Are they using the product? Are they effectively using the product or the solution? Are, are there... A good number of support tickets open. Is there a reason why there is? Did they not get the right training? So all of those elements play into a CSAT, you know, measurement. You could have them separate ones as well, but some of them do play key roles into what a CSAT measurement looks like, and then you could do the trending over time. NPS becomes really important. It was, you know, the big thing about. 10, 15 years ago that your MPS score is really what it's about. But that talks about referenceability and how they, how your customers are talking about yourself. If you're, if you, if you're doing the right thing with your customer, if you're advocating for them, if you are being the voice of the customer internally, as well as externally helping them network, helping them understand then they would be, wanting to talk about your company wanting to talk about what you can do and it should naturally flow out of them to say that if they can do it now some people can't so but if they can they they would be wanting to make that recommendation so NPS does play into it um, renewals renewals is a key element of measuring you know your customer success team did they renew? You know there's an interesting you know when you think about whether they renewed or they didn't you if they didn't renew you need to understand why there has to be categorizations around why they didn't renew. okay maybe they didn't have the budget in our world that could be you know what's happening maybe they were just unhappy with the product maybe they moved to a a competitor that had a better solution But those are the things that you have to address. Actually, those become really, really important to understand how many customers did not renew, why didn't they renew, and what can we do to improve going forward? Because if you're not looking at that, then you're never growing your team and you're never making the right changes that you have to make to support what that feedback is that's coming from that customer that is not renewing with you. So that renewal number becomes really, really important. If you're in the commercial side of the CS world you're you would be measuring cross sells and upsells. So how many leads did they bring about <clears throat> to buy more product or to buy more to add more users to the solution or to expand the program? How much did that do? How many how much did they bring about so that that customer is getting more value from that relationship with them? the journey alignment now that's really important in the world of cs because remember your journey with that you've put into place from the back end has you know four or five significant touch points throughout the way so that you can measure each of those touch points to see if they are they are getting what they need to get working with us so you should be able to know that when you're doing these significant touch points with them so journey alignment around the entire relationship with us. Those are the big ones. The other pieces around that is really around branding and recognition. So have they given us a case study? Have they, what type of stories have come out of the relationship that you've had with the customer? Now, stories are interesting because you can measure those internally using along the KPI route to say that the CS member has provided stories around what's worked well, what hasn't worked well, you know, how they negotiated something, all ways for the rest of the team to learn and to grow and to understand, okay, well, I have that situation. Let's make, let's do better there. So providing stories, references, loyalty programs, the, those pieces are other elements that you want to include in the metrics. And then of course, there's the training and development component around that. But those are the major ones I would say are probably the most important when you're looking at the the customer success measurement.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting topic, and like you say, there's you know many many different metrics that people can sort of pick and choose from depending on what it is um, that they really truly want to measure. And I guess the interesting challenge from that is then once you're starting to track these measurements and understand how um, how your clients are performing. So, you know, one of the more popular ones, as you said, is sort of um, red, amber, green, or like. Level one, two, three, et cetera. Um, as I say, the interesting challenge then is how does that filter into engagement strategies? So once we've identified who are our, um, our risk clients are, what do you typically recommend a team should focus on in terms of how do you uh, prevent that client from churning? how do you turn that risk into a success?
2: When you're thinking about risk customers, you want to look at it a couple of different ways. One, is how could we have addressed this risk earlier? How could we have averted this in some sort of way? And two, how do we look at adjusting and fixing the situation? So let's take the second one first. When somebody does go from, let's say, green to red, which would be something that is either either the entire solution product completely failed and the customer is just, out of their mind with stress of what's happened. So that just, so a very happy customer goes to a very red customer really quickly. That's when you start to mobilize sort of the, what you would call like an escalation team. And that means that the CSM becomes center point to that discussion. They would bring about marketing product, uh, finance into the, into the mix. They would bring about the leadership team in there because they, they need to be aware of everything. If communications have to go out, All those, and of course, sales would be part of that discussion to say, this is the problem. This is what needs to get done. This is how we're going to work through it. And then everybody becomes collaborative in discussing who's going, how we are going to fix it? What type of communication plan back to the customer will you have? Is it going to be hourly? Is it going to be, you know, end of day, beginning of day? However else you want to address until this situation is resolved. And then... You have to understand what damage control is, what damage has been done, and start to do damage control. Because if that customer is, even if you fix the problem, let's say you fix it within a day or within two days or within the hour, whatever it is, you really have to understand what happened on the customer side. So if they, if they went from red right away, then there was a tremendous amount of feedback that's coming back to senior level. Or senior levels within the organization and that has to be addressed right away because they are now you have to put yourself in the shoes of the CEO whoever it is that's responding back to you whether it's the C-suite, whether it's the senior leadership team you have to talk to them about how they can help, you can help them fix the problem internally as well and you have to start to have them understand how you help them And they help turn the tide against always having that black mark against you because when it comes renewal time, the first thing they will bring up is the fact that the product failed or whatever it is that happened during that time period. So having that ability to have that type of discussion becomes really key and that's where those skill sets come into play and you may not just be you doing that conversation obviously if it, if it's that much you you would be bringing in senior leaders within the organization to say we need to have a conversation at the you know the highest level to talk about what happened so mobilizing that team and having that team ready to go i mean of course you would include support in that team as well and having that team ready to go and having them understand the element of why this is so important becomes crucial so that that team that escalation team has to be available at any point. So there should be somebody designated from each one so that they're ready and available when and if something like this happens and be able to have them have the ability to make an effect change, not have to go back and ask for permission. Yeah, of course, if it's a tremendous thing, you would want to make sure of that, but giving that ability, giving that person the ability to affect that change so that you can help support the customer. When you're thinking about um, you know, a customer that goes, so that's, that's the highest level of risk. When you're thinking about a customer that goes from green to amber, there that's a red flag immediately so how do you designate an amber customer well that's a really key one that middle piece is key because that's where you start to get clues as to what's happening so there there you're looking at the customer saying to you things are good but you know I'm not seeing what I should be seeing from the product or we are looking at you know other vendors that could potentially help us with this, or we're just not happy with the level of service, or your support team hasn't responded to any of our product issues. That's where you start to get clues as to there's you know, obviously a problem that's happening. And averting that going to a red is where you start to address that. And knowing when to address that. So you should always be communicating with the other team members Within your organization, so they're aware. So support should be aware that they're having some concerns. Obviously, if it's a support issue, product should be aware. Marketing should be aware. Your senior leaders should be aware that there's a potential that maybe there could be a conversation that happens that to talk through it. Maybe they don't like the CSM they're working with. That happens, and that may they may want to request a change, and that's fine. But those are those are the pieces that start to say that start to you know trickle around to say. We need to make sure that we're addressing this. So your ambers probably become really, really important when you're looking at your overall structure within this within your within the group as you're looking at let's say your your dashboards to say how many ambers do we have and why are they like that and what are the trends What can we do to improve them? Is there a group in there that's saying they're all looking at this vendor? So what is this vendor doing that's different from ours? Those are the type of questions you have to have internally as you're communicating with your your leadership team to talk about what's happening with that customer. So those are the pieces that you want to be able to say, here's what we have to do, and that's how you avert the risk getting any higher than the than it is from an amber level. And you need to make sure. We haven't talked about this, but you need to make sure that you share the success. So if you have had a customer that goes from green to amber and then back to green, you need to let people know that you, you've you fixed that. You've, you've sharing in the fact that you've been able to address the issue, you've been able to effect a change, and you need to celebrate that. You need to celebrate that that customer went back to green, that they are now in a good place because you were able to address that. You give the CSM the the level of praise. You give all the other teams that participated. But celebrating that piece becomes so important because we tend to focus so much on the, the negative of what could happen. And if somebody has addressed an issue, we want to celebrate that. So those are the pieces that you want to look at when you're starting to talk about risk and you're starting to look at your customer base and averting that type of risk. Understanding what could potentially happen with that customer you know, that you want to address ahead of time. You know, we tend to, you know, we look at our customer journey and we get to, you know, our renewal point at tail end. Renewal also talks to, if it's a multi-year relationship, there's no renewal that's happening, but there's sort of a refresh of the program, right? So, or the product. So you're getting to the end of the year, the end of the contract year, whatever it is. You don't want to just close it out. You want to do a lessons learned and a review of what will happen for next year, for the next contract year, for next what's happening. And that's giving you, you know, that key piece that you're always talking to the customer about of why it's important to be together. You know, I always tell my CS team that, you know, a relationship is you start out as a vendor, right? And you start out building that relationship. You go through highs and lows, especially if you've had them for many years or if you're just starting out you have to push forward you know work with them to understand it but you know you know you've reached the point where you've changed that relationship and the way the one of the factors i say you've reached that point is when the customer comes to you and says to you i know you don't do this in your organization but maybe you could recommend somebody to me that could to me that's a trigger That says that customer has now looked at you as a trusted advisor. And they look at you to say, You've helped me along the way. We've had problems, we have issues, we have had concerns, but I still trust you and you still come through with that. And you may know people that can help me in this next phase, even if you can't. And that's when you know your relationship has reached that level and you want to start to cultivate that. But that becomes important in that path that you have with that customer. And that's when you're looking at, you know, those risk levels you want to keep low and if you have those red customers you have to really address them immediately but it's those amber customers that you have to look at because they're the ones that could turn pretty quickly especially if you know they're looking at you know something else and you're not addressing that with them
1: yeah i think that's great it's a really a really sort of well-structured summary of um you know a lot of what we've covered on on the episode today um you know, do you, know, do you um, have your team set up initially, have you got the, the right um, segmentation in place to allow you to be servicing those customers effectively um, in the first place? And then to your point, do you have those metrics in place to make sure that you can identify um, each of those customers as they are becoming a risk? So you know, if they drop down into the amber, can you catch that before Um, It goes into the red zone Um, So yeah, it's a really interesting summary of of a lot of what we've spoken about today and then um, Final sort of section or or last couple of questions. Really. um, We typically focus on trends. So I think that's a nice sort of link there Um, So based on what we've discussed I know we've obviously touched a bit around how skill sets will be developing because of obviously what's happening um, currently, but where do you think customer success is heading and where do you think it should be moving to to have more of an impact in in organizations and how can companies become more sort of customer focused and customer obsessed in the future.
2: I love that word customer obsessed. <laughs> That's no, I do appreciate that. So I think I started out the discussion by saying you know CS was not always the 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 forefront element within a customer, a company strategy about 10 some odd years ago and as the that has changed over time and I think with what's happening in today's world it's actually become probably one of the most important things and the realization that the customer is really why your why your company is moving forward is is hitting home pretty quickly and maintaining that customer understanding that customer building the customer relationship with them is the key factor. And that's something that's going to be part of, I I can see every customer's, every company strategy going forward and it has to be followed through. So having just having a CS function in play and having them, you know, manage the relationship with the customer, but not really involving that team into the overall company strategy. That's where things, you know, can start to come loose, so to speak, because what will happen is, is that the CS team can bring back, you know, be the voice of the customer internally and talk to product, talk to engineering, talk to marketing to say, okay, this is what we're hearing from our customers, this is what they don't like, this is what they like. You know, doing the you know, customer advisory boards, listening to your customers, but not really listening to them will definitely have an effect going forward that has to be an element that is part of and deeply integrated into a company strategy when you're looking at it from you know the executive level that cs team has to be part of those discussions because they, they know the customers inside and out they know what the customers are saying and the product team the marketing team the sales team all have input into what will happen with that customer and the CS team will bring it back to the customer. But having that play in, it becomes really, really important. I think that's where a lot of this, that's where the trend is happening going forward and what needs to be part of the every company as they're looking at their future as they're thinking about what it is that they want to do where they want to bring their company you know even if the you know the pandemic moves beyond where we are today where does the, what what has changed within their company the only consistent measure within that company is that they still have customers and they're still able to keep their doors open and they're still able to pay their employees they're still able to create you know great solutions great products they're still able to make money you know they're still able to do those things because of the customer and that customer becomes the key element and has to be part of that strategy has to have that thread through all of the different groups within the organization because they're going to be providing that feedback and they, it's going to be two ways that those groups are going to be providing feedback to the customer as well you know when you do your customer conferences when you do your advisory boards, when you do your, you know, your team meetings, your group meetings with them, you're going to have those people on the call. They're going to be talking to them about what's happening within the organization. Being and hearing and feedback and hearing and understanding that changes that they may be suggesting may not be great. We have to be, as a company, you have to be able to take that in stride and understand it and not move forward so quickly so that you're creating features that don't really, That don't really adhere to what our customers are asking for. But that type of communication, that type of openness has to exist as you go forward. And I think from a CS world, it's going to become more and more prominent and more and more necessary because customers want to talk. Customers want to have that relationship. Customers want to understand what it is that you're going to do to help them. How are you going to make their job easier? How are you going to make them look good? How are you going to help them show that this product has saved them money, has saved them time, has saved them effort, and now they could focus on the other elements within their organization because of the fact they implemented that solution, their product, or whatever the case may be. That's where that's what's happening within the world today, and I've had a lot of discussions with over the past couple of weeks with a lot of organizations about that particular thing, about how to help get their CS team in a better place and in a better in a better light, in a better you know organizational setup. How to have those conversations? That's where our that's where I see the trend going, and it's exciting. It's really, really, really exciting because finally, it's really become the key element because that's where what it's all about. I mean, I I love that it's happening today and I'm, well, not because of what it's happening, but I do love that it's it's pushing it to the forefront, let's put it that way, because of that. And as a leader, you have to understand that you if you're going to be a leader in the CS world, you have to have the ability to have those type of conversations with the other teams, be able to implement the organization the the, the strategy of the CS team understand what a cs team has to be made up how they're going to be made up you know look at you know the feedback look at the measurements make changes implement the changes because that's how you grow that's how you learn that's how the team is going to to prosper that's how the team is going to know that they're doing a good job because of the fact that they're they're adhering to you know these these types of the journey the the success of the customer that is exactly what's going to give them their feeling of being part of an organization that really cares about what's happening with the customer
1: yeah absolutely i, I completely agree with everything you said there i know um a lot of companies and organizations um say that they want to shift to be sort of uh, you know as we said customer obsessed or or have a uh, a customer driven mindset and you know people have always said from the start really that uh, customer success isn't really just a, a single department it's it should be a company-wide philosophy um, and it's great to see that customer success now uh, or CSMs do really have a, a chance to um, to drive that as as an initiative and really be at the forefront of um, of driving that but um, yeah thank you so much for for joining us on the, the podcast today it's been super insightful and, and great to speak to you about um, all of these these different topics um, I'm sure our listeners got um, a ton of insight um, from them. So, yeah, thank you so much um, for joining us on the episode today. It's been great speaking with you.
2: Thank you so much, Dan and Alex. It was actually, it was excellent to be on this podcast. I was very excited. I appreciate the opportunity, and I look forward to you know doing more if we have the ability to do more, the opportunity to do more. It's been really wonderful. So, thank you so much for your for your insight, your questions, and the the discussion.